Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's a new year, 2016. First episode of Fresh is the Word for the New Year. Episode number 10. I am your host, Kay Fresh. For this episode, we have Jax Anderson, a local Detroit singer, songwriter of the band Flint Eastwood. Basically, Flint Eastwood is Jax Anderson. Jax Anderson is Flint Eastwood. It used to be kind of a band thing before, but... She's, you know, basically, it's like a Nine Inch Nails thing. <laughs> this interview was recorded a couple months ago at the Assemble Sound Church down in Detroit. So shout out to uh, Garrett and the crew down there for uh, letting me use the space to interview Jax. There's a new Flint Eastwood EP out recently called uh, Small Victories. That shit is great, so go ahead and pick that up. We talked about music, we talked about wrestling, and we just kind of did an overview of her musical career and how she even got into music. So without further ado, here's an interview with Jax Anderson of Flint Eastwood. his the background story of him leaving WWF and going over to WCW and it's like it's crazy just the background like he got totally screwed over in yeah. the transition yeah it was crazy yeah. yeah it was like nobody knew if it was like a straight shoot or if it was a work or whatever but like some of it was definitely like a straight shoot like yeah like Vince was like like totally like screwing them like oh totally out of it you know and it's it's crazy man it it really is wild they were talking about how like that was the that was the moment that the veil kind of dropped like they 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 acknowledged that there was a bit of just like staging to it yeah but then after that point it kind of became something where like all of it, it like the reality of it and the staging of it kind of integrated into one whole concept there's times when you don't even realize what's kind of true in real life and what's staged in wrestling and they still kind of do it you know back in the day they 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 held it like they held the whole predetermined thing like lock and key yeah like to the point if you're a new wrestler in a company you weren't allowed to go hang out with the veterans until you understood that hey this is actually kind of staged when you get in when you got into wrestling you didn't even know dang it was staged like a lot of new wrestlers getting into it back in the 60s 70s and 80s and stuff didn't even know it was staged that's wild so they had to like kind of like break it slowly be like um you know it's you gotta hate to break your dream but but. uh, (laughs) this isn't like real fighting it's real fighting kind of but it's predetermined you know so yeah they had to break it you know slowly like that's crazy. So it's so it kind of like you belong to a frat. Like before you knew all of like the deepest, darkest secrets, you had to really prove yourself. Yeah, it was it was kind of like that. It was just the whole like aspect of the history of wrestling is crazy. Like it's... It, How did it get started? Like when, when did it first like bust into popularity? I was... <laughs> the funny thing is I was just started watching this... Um, this documentary on uh, like the Memphis wrestling scene. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of that started in carnivals. Makes sense. Yeah, like they just like, you know, started having these guys wrestle at carnivals and stuff like that. But then they transitioned into these like awesome, like these big auditoriums and stuff. Yeah. And 
wrestling used to be territories. It used to it wasn't like a national nation, a nationwide thing. Mm-hmm. Like Memphis had their territory. Like oh, that's Atlanta cool. did. Around New York, they had the territory. So you could follow different wrestlers in different territories. Yeah, and what they would do is every once in a while, the champion of that territory would go fight the champion of another territory. That's sick. That's what was like so cool about like wrestling, and everybody, and even back then before like that, that veil was raised on the, on like the pre whole you know it was predetermined and everything. People were just bloodthirsty in the crowd like That's awesome if you go on youtube and look up like uswa or smoky mountain wrestling the crowd is just loud the whole match the whole night just like rah, like the whole time like kill them beat them up blah oh, blah blah awesome. it was crazy <laughs> that's awesome okay so okay so oh hold on hold on okay. so ben's here Okay, so uh, so um, where'd you grow up at? I grew up. I was born on the east side of Detroit. Okay. And then, like halfway through my childhood, moved over to Harbor Woods. Uh, stayed there most through school. What part of uh, the east side were you at? I was at I was at Eight Mile, Eight Mile and Kelly. So oh, I'm I'm from that part of town. I'm from Eight and Shaner. Right on, right on. Yeah, we lived on we lived on Novara. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. So I we yeah so I lived there and then we lived in Harbor Woods for a while and then after high school, tried out college for a bit. Decided it wasn't for me. Uh, then just moved around the country. What like high crazy. school did you go to? Gross Point North. Okay, all right. Yeah. I went to East Detroit High School. Oh, right on. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. <laughs> yeah, I was on. I was on like that dividing line of like Harper Woods and Gross Point schools. Right. So it was cool. What sort of a kid were you? What kind of kid was I? Oh man, <laughs> I was sassy. I was super sassy. I. Uh, I like no like I had two other brothers and I was not gonna be bossed around like I was a boss no matter where I went I'm I'm really happy that I've mellowed out since then <laughs> and lost the sass factor I don't know that I would want I I wouldn't have wanted to be my friend when I was a little kid <laughs> it was it was yeah yeah I was I was tough yeah I was super super shy I couldn't even like talk to a girl I was I was just a basket case. Oh man! But I left it all inside of me, and then like, it's weird the seal that breaks after you're done with school. You're just like, fuck it, I w- I'm gonna do what I want. Yeah, because as soon as like my senior year of high school, I was like, um, I had like a co-op job, so I like only went to school like half the day, mm-hmm. and then that was also the time I started getting into the hip hop scene, mm-hmm. and it was just like, oh my god, there's all these other people. Yeah. Like this is crazy, yeah. you know? And I'm like, and then it took me a few years before I really started like party partying like drinking drinking you know mm-hmm. like 
like where I'm like just drunk five nights out of the week. <laughs> that was when I started going into the techno scene. Ah man, <laughs> those people like corrupted yeah, me. Yeah, they uh, th- those those people go hard. Oh my god, if you think rappers and shit like that will corrupt you. <laughs> Go to go to the techno dude. scene, man. Those dude, those people will will corrupt they go, you. They go wild. Yeah, those people will corrupt you, man. It just, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we were just talking before, like uh, about watching wrestling when you were younger. Mm-hmm. Who are some of your favorites? Uh, I was a big fan of The Rock. Hell yeah! Really liked uh, the is it Hardy Brothers, Hardy Boys? Yeah, the Hardy Boys. Yeah, Hardy Boys. There you go. Yeah, I liked. I think I think mainly because I just like their pants. Like they always wore really bright pants. Yeah, it was always kind of like. Like hot topic ish. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They went with this weird. It wasn't totally goth, but it was. Yeah. Like, it wasn't totally punk. Yeah. But it was like they were cool. I feel like they ne- they they were never. I mean, at least in my perception, like I would have to go back and really take a look at it again to really decide. But I feel like they were never really like the bad guys. I feel like they were always they they weren't like picking on people. Like I feel like people like Kane and Undertaker and like people like that were right. like known as being dicks. Right. With the Hardy Boys, they were. They were always high flyers doing, yeah. yeah they were doing crazy shit, shit, dude. That they didn't really need to be heels or baby faces at yeah. all. They were just like impressive with you know going like jumping off a twenty five foot oh, ladder. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's all they needed to do. You know, they didn't yeah. need to say they didn't need to be dicks or anything. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I was always really into WWF because I didn't have um, a group without cable, right? And so I, I was never like able to watch WCW or like <laughs> right. anything else other than WWF. We did uh, watch. Was it Thursday Night SmackDown? Yeah, was what we would watch. Yeah, it was good. And I remember it would it would always come on at a time that like I was supposed to go to bed. I was supposed to like like my mom was always like, "Okay, Jax, go take go take a bath. It's time to get ready for bed." And I was like, "No, The Rock is about to come on. Let me see the final fight. <laughs> just let me stay up a little longer." You know what's funny about you saying that you're watching SmackDown is I was just um I was listening to this old podcast with um there was this wrestler maybe around that time maybe a little after his name was Domino. Okay. And there's um him and this other uh, wrestler, uh, Dot Gallows, mm-hmm. they got these gigs like in Nigeria wrestling. Wow. The reason why they got the gigs was before because for like 2007 to 2009, the only thing Nigeria got was SmackDown. <laughs> so the SmackDown stars were like the wrestling stars of Nigeria. Yes. <laughs> yes. That is perfect. That is perfect. So it was funny when you said that. You're like, that's the only thing we could watch was SmackDown. <laughs> the only option. I feel you. Us and the Nigerians. <laughs> okay, so um, growing up, how did you, you know, eventually get into, you know, doing music? My dad was one of ten kids, all of which played instruments and sang. Oh, and nice. um, because we grew up without cable, we also we also grew up without internet. And at this time, this was in like the the internet cable boom happened in every household in America had both and so everybody was always on their computers and, and you know I don't know talking on AOL or whatever yeah the AOL uh, yeah on, on chat rooms yeah so um, age sex gro- location yeah yeah exactly <laughs> um, and so we I didn't we didn't end up getting internet until like I was probably 16 or 17 and so all before that I, I like I didn't have a lot of friends in my neighborhood right so it was it was this kind of thing where I would come home from school and there would just be instruments laying around so I would I would naturally just pick up a guitar and just to entertain myself because I was so freaking bored because like how many times can you watch Maury and like Jerry Springer right. as like an eight-year-old and think that it's entertaining Maury is pretty entertaining Jerry Springer gets old but yeah but yeah so I, it basically came out of me being bored <laughs> was your was your uh, pops a uh, musician by trade 
What's that? Was your pops a musician professionally, or what, what did you do for a living? What did I do for a living? No, your dad. Oh, my dad. Yeah. My dad, um, God, my dad always had, he had a slew of jobs. He, um, he was originally like a mortgage broker, but then when the housing market crashed, he yeah. like lost his job. And so he would, he became like, uh, I don't even, I don't even know the proper term for it. It's the guy that goes around neighborhoods and paints addresses on curbs. And so he would, yeah. he would go door to door and we would help him hand out flyers uh, to try to get at him to paint addresses on curbs and then my mom worked retail um all all while I was growing up so that was that was a trip being like being like nine and ten going into like the like the the residential areas of Detroit and like I I have probably been on every single step in the residential area of Detroit just because we would help our dad hand out flyers all the time and it was crazy because we would like get chased by pit bulls every once in a while or like right. it's like a dangerous thing and he would just drop off he would drop us off and go to a different block so it's like me and my older brother that's like two years older than me going and handing out flyers in like the ghettos of Detroit see, if you if you go in any hood and you see like people walking in the middle of the street that's why yeah it's <laughs> yeah yeah like usually the, the curb painters are like the dudes that like they're usually people you like don't want to make eye contact with. <laughs> They're the ones that are like on bikes and you don't really you don't want to fuck with them. So right, it was, right, it was right. just an it was an interesting dynamic because going to Gross Point North High School, like you go to you go to school and like like sixteen year olds are driving Mercedes and yeah. and like brand new you know some some kids have like brand new Jeeps and brand new BMWs and like I'm rolling up like in my dad's K car going going to high school. I don't know. It was it was a really weird dynamic. I remember going to Gross Point North a couple times. Uh, freshman year baseball mm-hmm. like going against them yeah they were like the only team we couldn't beat yeah the baseball they we had baseball on lock baseball oh, baseball God. and i think swimming we had like an olympic swimmer come out of come out of gross point north our our freshman ball team that year we were 12 and 4 and i think the only team that we couldn't beat was gross point north yeah yeah they, they killed us in a double header it's intense like, it, was, it, it was kind of close we could have came back but they just beat us both of it. Mm-hmm. And I remember, oh my God, this was probably the low point of my baseball career, <laughs> which not exactly. <laughs> a like, short-lived one? A short-lived <laughs> one, but I, I played all my yeah, yeah. teenage years and stuff, and I enjoyed it, loved it. But I got so pissed after striking out that I just like took the bat and I just threw it in oh. the dugout. <laughs> and then my coaches took me out of the game. <laughs> my mom was like, jeez. what was that? Oh, jeez. Like, I, I felt so embarrassed after it. Oh, jeez. But I was it's, so You know angry. when you get in the heat of the moment, you do what you got to do. I, I was never super into sports. I was never a sports kid. I, I played softball for a little while. I played freshman year just because no one got cut. Right. They, they just needed extra people. I could, I could hit the ball pretty damn good. I couldn't catch. I couldn't, like, it, like, confused me so much, like, what to do in different situations. Like, I don't know. I'm really, as bad as it is, I'm, like, really bad at team sports. I was terrible my freshman ball year. Like, I only, I was I was on the bench most of the time. Mm-hmm. But, like, I only batted, like, one for nine the whole season. Uh. And that one hit was terrible. <laughs> at, least was you, like, at least you got that one hit, though. It was this terrible, like, grounder up the middle. <laughs> like, somehow I got past the pitcher. And I'm like, our team was awesome. But at the same yeah. time, we were awesome because we had talent, not because uh. of any coaching. Uh, our coach okay. was so – he was such a dipshit. Oh, man. <laughs> See, I, I loved my softball coach. His name is Mr. Shervino. He was awesome. He was uh, a very nice man. He had a lot of patience with me, which I appreciate. <laughs> right. I appreciate a lot. Ah, <laughs> uh, those were the days. Those were the days. So, um, what was like when you finally got kind of comfortable, you know, 
making music, what were some of the first things that you created? I probably got comfortable creating music um, around the age, like I played guitar all growing up and then I started writing songs about, about the age of 16 and I, most, I mostly wrote folk songs. Yeah. I was very into folk music. Like somebody, um, I think my either junior or senior year um, was the year that like Arcade Fire Funeral came out and like um, Sufjan Stevens, Illinois was already out. Here comes, or can you, what is it? Here comes, or I don't know. Sufjan Stevens, something Illinois. Um, and that kind of just like blew my mind that you could make like really interesting folk music and it wasn't just like an, a, a girly acoustic sounding song. Yeah. Um, so most of my teen years were spent making folk songs, which I'm really appreciative for simply because it, it kind of, it taught me the value of lyrics and it taught me the value of just just overall songwriting um and so my earlier stuff was was very folk and acoustic based and so uh, after high school i uh, my brother seth had always been making beats and so he showed me a beat of his and i was like oh this is really dope and i started singing like a melody he's like oh you should go to your room right now and record that and then we did and we were like oh that was really easy to do we should probably do that again and so we have been doing that ever since and it's it's a really it's a fun collaboration and it's it's an interesting thing having another person in on a creative process it's 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 really strange because we had a we had a writing session yesterday and this person like we would like talk like yeah and like just go banter back and forth and like develop the entire concept for like this whole part and the other the person that we were writing with was like where what what where are you guys like we speak our own language at this point it's it's wild so when did the the Flint Eastwood uh, project start? Flint Eastwood has been around, I want to say, 2012 or 2013. I want to say I think 2012 is when it when it kind of started. So three years now. Um, it's kind of always been this ongoing project. Like I was originally, it, when I was in high school, I was called Apple Trees and Tangerines. And instead of starting a brand new band, I switched it over to the name Power. And then we had to switch that name because it was extremely hard to find on the internet. So we were like, oh, Flint Eastwood. And so it's kind of been just just this ongoing thing that never, it never ends. <laughs> it's good though. That's great, that's great. So um, back in 2013, you had the late nights at Bolo Ties. Yeah. Uh, talk about that release. That release was a lot of fun. That was a very fun project. Um, it was something where um, we were playing a lot of live shows and, and we were starting to get known for our live shows. And at, th- at this point, it was me and uh, three other players that were in the band. And uh, we were really getting known for our live show. We were playing a lot around and we didn't have anything to sell to people or to or not even to sell, just for people to listen to on their own time. Um, and so there was a... a, a rather large demand for it and so I kind of went back through my catalog and was like okay what are four songs that would be cohesive and consistent and sound like it's one band and they just so happened to be these four rock songs and so we kind of got branded as a rock band unintentionally like I never set out to make rock music it just kind of happened um and so yeah so late night symbolo ties happened and we toured it for three years and since then the other band members have gone on to their own projects, and now Flynn Eastwood is just me, and I create pop music, and it's my heart and soul, and I love it more than anything. So before that release, you, um, you were doing these live shows, getting known as a live band. What were you performing at that time? What was kind of like the idea of the band before you had this idea of actually putting out music? Uh, the idea was just to play play live music. Like There really wasn't a thought behind it. It was just kind of like I really thoroughly enjoyed being in a room full of people 
that are all like-minded and all have the same goal of having a good time. Like I really, really, I feel the most alive when I'm connected to people. Um, and my way of connecting with people the most is being on stage. Um, and so there wasn't any kind of ulterior motive. We weren't trying to like, you know, be the next Beyonce or like be the next Rolling Stones or something like that. It was just kind of like, we want to have fun and we want to play music for people. And so that's what we did. Like the music industry, whether it's big or small, local or whatever, can be like just a lot of dudes doing everything, you know? Mm-hmm. How is it, how do you kind of navigate those waters and, you know, as a female with a, just a bunch of guys around do, mm-hmm. at every step of the way? Yeah. Honestly, my whole life I've been surrounded by guys. Like I have, I mean, I have two older brothers. Um, I hung out with my cousins a bunch when I was a kid. I have like 40 cousins and maybe like 15 are girls. Damn. Yeah. So, so I've just like. That's a big family. Yeah. I've, I have a huge family and I'm, I'm very close to my family and I appreciate all of them. So Anderson's, if you're listening or Jackson's love you very much. Um, but yeah, I've just kind of always been around guys. So it's been, it's always been this like easy language for me, I guess. And I don't know, I've never viewed myself differently for being a girl. Like I've never been like, I can't do this or they're looking at me differently for being female or this is going to be harder and I'm going to have to have like a stronger voice, which I, I know that a lot of, a lot of females feel like have a totally different experience and, and yes, sexism hundred percent exists in the music industry, but I'm, I'm very grateful to say that I really haven't experienced a lot of it. Um, it's, it's, as I said before, as I mentioned earlier, I've always been somewhat of a boss. So I think whenever I've always laid out the guideline of like, I'm going to be respected. You're, you're going to, to, um, treat me as an equal. And I feel like everybody on my team has, and I feel very grateful. I've, I've been lucky enough to be surrounded by wonderful people that view me as an equal and it's awesome. Right. With the, with the newest EP, there's this idea behind, you know, small victories, you know, kind of talk about that. Yeah. I think, um, with anything in life, as a whole, not even necessarily creatively. When I, when I originally, when I originally, let me start that over. Um, as an artist, I feel like a lot of the times you have to rely on small victories in order to keep going because the big things don't happen very often. Like the, the small victories will be like somebody sending you a message thanking you for writing a song that it really connected to them or, or creating a video that you're really proud of or um, even just like seeing something on the street that is just inspiring like that's a small yeah. victory or someone complimenting you that's a small victory and or i getting feel like rid of all that crap that you have on your to-do list exactly that's a small victory <laughs> like those are all small victories. yeah yeah through. like a lot of people expect like i'm gonna sell out madison square garden every week when you're when you're a musician and that's not the reality like we play some shows will play to 500 people some some shows will still play to 50 people and that's okay you got to rely on the, sm- the small things to keep you going and that it, a it helps you appreciate life a lot more b it's a lot more fun to live that way you know I just, it's it's my motto in life. Small victories. It's a good motto. Oh, thanks. Yeah, with this new EP, there's just a wide array of sounds on it. It's just not mm-hmm. six songs sounding the same. Mm-hmm. Kind of talk about where your uh, where you, your head was at with how you wanted things to sound with it. I've always been. I've always tried to be a very optimistic person, so I wanted to create something that made people feel very happy. Um, but what I was going through was not something that was very happy at all. I was going through the loss of my mother and um, it was something that she was sick for a very long time. And it was when I started writing this um, or right whenever the the cycle of late night symbolitized ended, it was whenever she passed. So I entered into a very dark time in my life. So the subject matter of this EP is very heavy, but the overall feeling of it is very light and airy. And I kind of wanted that 
that drastic shift to happen. Because um, I think a lot of times pop music can be very hollow and it can be very just like people kind of discredit it and disrespect it for that manner because it doesn't really have anything of value to say. So I wanted to have something of value to say, but I still wanted to write pop music. Yeah, anytime, like, just the idea of, like, one of your parents passing, just the idea, even when you see the signs coming, mm-hmm. it's still a heavy thing to deal with. Oh, definitely. I think any any kind of loss is, yeah. whether it be a relationship or losing a job or anything or losing a friend even. Yeah. I think everybody everybody goes through loss and not a lot of people talk about it. I think that's so ridiculous. And, and so the whole purpose of writing these songs was to, to A, try to figure figure out what the fuck was going on in my own head and to try to connect with people, to try to show people that it's okay to be vulnerable. That's that's kind of one of the reasons many that I'm kind of doing this podcast because yeah. I was in this really shitty relationship, you know, for like three years with this girl, and I finally cut it off like a year or so ago, mm-hmm. and I'm still trying to digest like yeah. why I stayed in it for so long, what the fuck happened, mm-hmm. trying to digest the embarrassment of it all mm-hmm. and everything, you know. So I get like, you know, how you just, there, there's a lot of ways where you just need to like digest it. Oh, for sure. And, and you gotta, talk about you it. You got to be proactive about it. You got to do something. Because if you just sit and fester in your own thoughts, it, it destroys you, you know? Yeah. It's crazy. So you have to, you have to, you have to do something. I think it's awesome that you're doing this podcast. I think it's a great thing. Yeah. And that was the thing. I was like, I started, I started uh, listening to other people's podcasts, stuff like, you know, on WTF, Mark Marin or mm-hmm. the Nerdist podcast. Mm-hmm. And what they had in common was they were at one point in a shitty place in their lives yeah, where they just wanted to blow their brains out mm-hmm. and they started doing this podcast and it was kind of like the conduit to everything that they did, you know, yeah. and kind of glued everything together. But the whole time they're talking with all these comedians and actors and whatever, and they're all kind of going through similar things in their lives at times too. Mm-hmm. And it's all just kind of like figuring it all out. Oh, for sure. Even years later, they're still just, you know, figuring it out. And it's so nice to hear other people that you see out there you think are have it together. Oh, 100%. No one has it together. Yeah, no one has it together. But but they're out there with some sort of success in life. Yeah. But they're still dealing with shit. Yeah. So it's great to hear, you know, your story, my story, anybody's story. Oh, for to sure. be able to, you know, connect. Oh, I strongly believe that the reason why we go through hard times is to empathize with others and to connect with others. And I think it's a great thing that you're that you're taking something that's negative and turning it into something positive. The best things come from like the darkest places, you know? You always have this decision of, of to stay in this dark place and let it destroy you or to create something amazing out of it. And I'm you have to be proactive. It's oh yeah, thing. definitely. And on this new EP, my favorite song is Glitches. Oh, thank you. That shit is <laughs> just fantastic i'm like i i was giving it a, another listen uh yesterday and i'm like wait 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 this shit is incredible man oh, this is you. like like this could be a f- fucking hit song you know thank you like it j- just from the the melodies the songwriting everything it was just like the build-ups like that last like like that last minute of oh, the song is just like kind of like just an incredible incredible just emotional just Boom, you know. Thank you so very much. Talk about, you know, writing that song. That was a song that was a song that was created in a moment like so the I'll start with the lyrics of that song. Um the lyrics were were taken from a notebook of mine. Um I would go to different places after my mom passed and just write in a notebook for hours. Um just to keep my mind busy and just to not to not get sucked into those dark thoughts. And so I was I was sitting at a coffee shop one day and um 
I just started writing about the people that were around me, um, not having any kind of reason, just just kind of like free writing. And so uh, a couple couple days later, we went into the studio and and every time I sit down to write a song, I'm like, okay, what do we want to write about? And so I, I flipped the page and I flipped page, it was pages and pages and it just like opened up to the lyrics, the braids like Frida Kahlo, cigarette smoking, sha- smoking shallow kind of deal. Um, and so I wrote, we, we, I just literally read off the page of for that for the verses. Um, and then when the chorus hit, I just kind of like immediately went to this, like, I wanted it to feel like I was standing on a mountain being like, fuck you. Like I wanted it to be this like really intense moment. Yeah. Um, almost like I was screaming off of a cliff. And so it just naturally came out the glitches on my radar, on my phone, you know? Um, it, and it basically was talking about having those distractions and saying that I, I, all those distractions might be happening, but I'm still going to stick with what I was taught from my mom. I'm still going to stick with the words that she told me. And I'm still going to stick with, with um, the values and the morals and, and the character that she taught me. Um, and, and it, it was just the kind of thing where like Seth nailed it with the production. We wanted to, we, we intentionally wanted to create something extremely simple and it just happened to end up being like only a bass and a drum for the verses and then just kind of build it up from there. Yeah, it was incredible. But then like all seriousness aside, the first time I, I actually listened to it, I thought it said bitches on the radar. <laughs> And then I was like, this sounds like some like a Rihanna song. Then. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's all I want in life is to be compared to Rihanna. So. I was like, Deal. I was I was I was thinking, I'm like, do you know how easy it is to turn any serious song into a hood song? Oh, yeah. <laughs> just just switch up a couple of words. Man. And I was like, I was like, bitches on my radar. It sounds like a uh, song about like jealous chicks. <laughs> <laughs> I like to keep it ambiguous, you know? <laughs> or then, like, another thought that popped in my head after that was, like, like bitches on my payroll. Oh, my uh, God. It'd be, like, a yes. song about about pimping or something, man. <laughs> That's such a good idea. <laughs> bitches was, on my payroll. <laughs> next, thing I, next thing I know, I'm, like, all these hood versions of the song are just it's popping like in next, my head. It's like the next Trap Queen. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Just ratchet. Seth would love it. Yes. Ratchet remixes for them all, man. I was Love just it. like, <laughs> man. I, I, I love that idea, man. <laughs> yeah, it just automatically always goes to hood all the time, man. There's been so many songs, like beautiful songs from the 70s and yeah, 80s yeah. that were about love and tenderness mm-hmm. that rappers turned about selling coke. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's so easy. I mean, because like the, the beats are sick and like rap music is awesome. Is awesome because like just the intensity of it like any anytime you get like a like a damn good rapper on a track oh i could take a bad track and make it amazing you know right right <laughs> so you can do whatever you want as long as you sound good i suppose what's some what's some of the music that you listen to these days uh i i really enjoy experimental pop music uh when writing this record i was really into sia okay. and all all like everything sia like yeah. her album and what like her past albums um artists that she had written with in the last like however long she's been a songwriter um i was really into sia i was really into haim i was really into um i've always been really into joan baez like she's she's really cool she's a really big inspiration to me always been into abba abba is like my like pop dream like i would i would like cry if i met them Abba was always something that was like everybody's kind of like guilty pleasure oh yeah but when you kind of they're fucking amazing. But when you kind of like dissect it, 
They're really good. Everything about that was so epic. Oh, they were very epic. Like their costumes and their videos and their songwriting and just everything. Because what I like, what I like most about them is that they don't give off like a vibe that they would be pop stars, but they're just like they just own it. You know, like you look at photos of them or videos of them, and they just don't. They just don't look like they would dance and like be these superstars. But they're they're enormous and they have a theme park named after them and. They're forever huge. Oh like, yeah, it's crazy. They're classic, man. I love ABBA. It's it's funny. Like back in the day, like in the seventies and eighties, like it was all those people just didn't look like they would be stars. Yeah, it's great. It's <laughs> it was great. so great. It's great. It'd be the dorkiest looking guy, but he I could love sing it. his ass off. Oh, and, I love it. And it would have these like amazing pop tunes. Dude, perfection's boring. Even when you're looking at somebody, like perfection's just boring. Give me character. Give me messed up teeth and like weird skin. Give me that over perfection any day. Right, like in the 80s, you'd have these dudes that looked like, they looked hella old, yeah. but they were kind of young. Yeah. Dude, Elton John in the 70s was like the coolest motherfucker. He was so cool. And he had like a horseshoe happening and, ah, oh, <laughs> Elton hair, John was awesome. His hair was out of control. Yeah. Because it was like just bald and yeah. just horrible. He's great. And, but he was so just epic with yeah. everything else that it was just like, eh, I loved cares. it. You were, People valued, they valued the... They weren't tainted by like MTV and like all of these crazy teen magazines where they felt like they had have a perfect tan and perfectly white teeth all the time. That what the weirdest thing to me is whenever you look like an old picture of like Jack Nicholson and he was blatantly like bald when he was like twenty three. Yeah, I feel like, and then now he has like he obviously wears a toupee or something, and like everyone that had bad teeth in the seventies now has good teeth, and it's like no, just keep keep that character, you know? I don't know. I hate I hate whenever I don't know. I don't. Well, I don't. Ha- I don't hate many things, but yeah, I was about to bring up Danny Brown. Like, did he fix his tooth? <laughs> no, he he'll never fix his teeth. Oh like, yeah, good. He, he good. Was- Get it, Danny Brown. Yeah, his grill. I secretly wish that his grill had that had the gap in it. Right, but he'll never get his actual like fix his teeth fixed. He was like, "Fuck that." No, yeah, this is me, dude. Fuck yeah, that. dude, confidence with it, man. Yeah, just it's you know, good own thing. It. <laughs> mm-hmm, it's a good thing. Okay, uh, this new EP you uh, you uh, recorded it here at the Assemble Sound Church where we're currently recording this interview. Mm-hmm. Kind of uh, talk about like the energy that you felt, you know, working here. It was a very good energy. The The vibes here are always very positive, very uplifting, very, um, I don't know, just, just very, very like you have, it, it feels like you always have people in your corner here. And it's, it's great, especially when creating. I feel like a lot of artists, um, well, to give you back story of Assemble, Assemble is, it's technically called Assemble Sound. Um, and it's basically a, a studio for musicians to come and collaborate. Yeah. Um, a lot like how the Motown days had like different musicians come in, amazing musicians come in and just write a song for the sake of writing. Um, and so I would, I, we would be writing a track and Alex K from Valley Hush would come in and lay down a guitar track or Nigel from Nigel and the Dropout would, would like lay down a synth part. And so it was really cool because you didn't know who was going to be in the studio that day um, or who would walk through that day. And it was it was a very cool thing too to just record. Assemble Sound is 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 Detroit's second oldest church, and um, Seth and I both grew up in a very religious home. Um, and it's it was cool to kind of pay that homage to my mom as well. She was very 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 involved in religion, so it felt right to record this in a church. You know, it yeah. felt it felt right. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was very cool, and I'm very excited to continue to to create here. Yeah, it's crazy. I've been like kind of in the music scene for about 15 years now, off and on, whatever, and. You always just see people coming up with their little lame brain ideas about how to get people together. Yeah, or yeah. A lot of it is really kind of money driven or whatever. Yeah. But what I feel here is like. It, oh, it's not money driven. It's very all. much. 
like organic and yeah. rooted in the best interests for, oh, for sure. our budding like musical talent here in Detroit because as time goes on it's harder and harder mm-hmm. for the musical talent to find comfortable places to do their thing right even perform you know it just it's it just getting worse you know mm-hmm. and it kind of goes back to like in the 90s i know definitely with the techno scene hip-hop scene they would just set up anywhere that oh, they could yeah. set up yeah, you know it, it was that was a little bit a little bit before my time yeah but i still saw the pictures the yeah. videos and everything mm-hmm. you know hip-hop shop they would set up at heart plaza right. any sort of bar or restaurant that would just let them you know so i'm kind of glad that there's an energy coming back like oh for sure i think i think that specifically like the people just like doing pop-up shows that i feel like in the last like two or three years it's definitely started happening again because it it kind of like became this thing where where you only played pj's lager house and you only played the magic stick and you only played like these certain venues in the 2000s yeah um but i see it like really evolving and it's it's amazing too to to see a pop scene start to develop to develop in detroit too because i feel like there hasn't really been a huge pop artists outside of like Madonna in the Detroit scene. And so to see people like Tunde, Tunde Lonerin and like RV Mendoza and um, Tim Schumet come up and kind of, I see them evolving and, and starting to, to create this pop scene. It's really cool. Yeah. What sucked was like in the early 2000s, you had everything that kind of came out of the white stripes. Yeah. And that which was, white, which white stripes were good. I, li- I liked white stripes. Oh, they were but awesome. But they, it, it, it created this clusterfuck of other bands that try to be like them. Mm-hmm. And well, that's going to happen and, with any scene. I mean, yeah. you look at, you look at Atlanta, whenever, um, outcast popped off, you had like a million bands that were trying to be like them. And same thing with Eminem when he popped off. Oh, there were a dude, bunch yeah, of the hip hop scene around here was crazy. Everybody was trying to be a rapper. Man. Yeah. Like, yeah. That, that's just what happened. One person pops off and, and it kind of defines the sound for that area. And the funny thing was that whole like time period between, like 99 to about 2003 mm-hmm. was kind of crazy in Detroit because those were like the Kid Rock, Eminem, yeah. D12. Just the ass kickers, dude. White Stripes years. Yeah. And it was like crazy. Like it was like everybody wanted to be a rapper. Everybody wanted to have a band. Everybody and wanted garage rock. Yeah. It was fucking crazy. Yeah, and, it, and it's and it's cool because it's it's now there isn't all of those bands are like their their prime was like 10 years ago you know i mean eminem is still killing it and all of them are killing it in their own right but like they first popped off at the scene in in the early 2000s so it's been 15 years and so because there hasn't been anybody huge to define the sound in detroit right now it's just like a no man's land where everyone can create what they want and so there are different pockets of these different genres and it's really cool to see them all like mesh together yeah it's great because in the like the mid 2000s what something that happened was the after party scene got killed. Yeah. By the city of Detroit. Yeah, it started cracking down. It was they started cracking down. That's when Kwame was still in the office, mm-hmm. and some shit happened, and they started cracking down on all the after parties. And mm-hmm. so that there was like around two thousand and four, two thousand five, two thousand six. There was like a great after party scene where mm-hmm. it was everybody. Yeah. It was the techno kids hanging with the rock kids with the, hanging mm-hmm. with the hip hop kids. DJs playing rock shit, yeah. techno shit, and hip hop shit, all the same party. It was fucking crazy. Yeah. But then it got way out of hand, where all the dope, all the dope dealers were were starting to like take over running, the place, yeah. you know, running the place. So it got really fucking weird, you know. Yeah. That shit got cracked down. Everybody kind of ran to their own corners again mm-hmm. for a while. Right. And then what was great was that eventually everybody started like popping their head back out, mm-hmm. you know, and it's gotten to the place now where. Everybody kind of has their freedom to 
do their thing. Right. And I, what I think is great, like the difference between that scene happening and like what's happening now, um, which granted in the mid 2000s, the internet still existed, but I feel like musicians since then, because of the internet, have really taken control of, of their destinies. Um, and so I think now people are still starting to do that, but they're doing it in a lot more legit way. So right. the scene is definitely growing in that way of like there being after parties and there being a lot of like DIY stuff, but people are actually getting permits and like people are actually doing it to where the like people around know what's going on and it's not this illegal thing that's eventually gonna get broken up. If anything, it's just gonna be something that continues to grow. Yeah, because around, when the, the when the internet thing popped, like especially MySpace. Yeah. MySpace changed the game for I know. Oh the, yeah, for, for everyone. Especially for the Detroit hip hop scene. Yeah. All of a sudden, all these guys that didn't you know, even know how to turn on a computer. Yeah. Were internet savvy. <laughs> yeah, and so the man. young crowd just just took it over, man. Yeah, and then all of a sudden it changed the way all the I know all the hip hop guys were kind of creating their music and, and trading their music everybody's all oh, i just talked to like you know a member of the wu-tang clan on yeah on fate or on uh, myspace yeah this is fucking crazy yeah you know? everything became extremely accessible yeah and and, uh, and finally these uh these um detroit these detroit these detroit artists were able to get outside of detroit yeah which was which something that they didn't know really know what to do before right and which is what a lot of these newer artists are able to do now right. is to not only do their thing, have their little DIY pop-up shit in Detroit, yeah, but, but they can also do it in Lansing and Grand Rapids and yeah. Chicago if they want to. Even do, back then, even doing stuff in Ann Arbor and Lansing was like a big deal for them. Yeah, you know? but now which they is, can well, do yeah, it which elsewhere. is so it's so it's so awesome to be part of the Detroit scene right now. Which like. I feel like the mindset is kind of like, oh, you can do a show here, cool, but what can you do in Grand Rapids? Like, there's kind of this like unspoken, friendly competition that happens. That's like, okay, I you brought it up in this level. Like, what am I going to do to outdo that? You know, which I think is really cool because I think for a long time, there wasn't a bar that was set of like what's good and what's bad. I feel like the fact that there were just people creating in the city was a good thing, and it still is a good thing. But now I think we're to the point where we can say that something is like, ah, you didn't really put your full in that. Like you really didn't put all of your passion behind it. And, and it's an okay thing because we're at that point where we need to be putting our all in every, every single thing that we do. Yeah. There needs to be a competitive edge back to the city. And for a while it was, there's a lot of people that were trying to like, they wanted to do that sort of blind support sort of thing. Yeah. Or, or it was like this, this competitiveness of like, well, they're succeeding. Why am I not succeeding? Like, why am I not getting the success that they have? Right. Which, which is like a total, total, total kill to any music scene. So I think now we've reached a point where everyone has this friendly competition. Um, that's not this bitterness. Like the bitterness is not existing right now, which is fantastic. And if we can keep that up, we'll, we'll be a thriving music scene that will affect the whole world as long as we're all on each other's team. You know, that's the most important thing is making sure that everyone's there for the betterment of everyone instead of individuals try, just trying to push themselves forward. Right. And that, that was always a problem that Detroit had was as generations transition to other generations. Yeah. There wasn't a support no. in there. It kind of started finally happening happening in the like the electronic scene, mm -hmm. um, maybe in the past say five or so five or ten years. Yeah, where some of the older cats, you know, the Carl Craig's, the Moody Man, you know, those kids were like, "All right, you you know, people like Kyle Hall and mm -hmm. you know Jay Daniel, you guys can play later on when the crowd's here, mm -hmm. just so because you guys are good. Yeah, we don't need to play for this crowd, you know. Yeah." Carl will play early on in the night. That's fine. You don't, you don't need. 
but he's like, mm-hmm. I'll give I'll give you my spots. Yeah, it's stuff like that, and it was really nice to see that some of these older electronic, uh, you know, house music, you know, techno DJs, yeah. producers were kind of like uplifting the younger right. cats. Right, right, and you could totally you can totally see that. You could see that with with, how, with just the, the longevity in the Detroit scene of, of the techno of the techno scene overall. Uh, I think it's existed as long as it has because of that mindset. Um, and with with any genre, you kind of have to with, as an artist, you always have to be able to be a support system for other artists, especially young artists. Because young artists, I mean, there's so many. I know whenever I started making music, I made so many stupid decisions. I signed so many contracts that I wish I didn't sign. You know, um, and if if I can help in any way a band to like avoid being in a really shitty situation that I want to help 100% even if they're music that I'm not necessarily into or if they're not necessarily at the level that they should be even thinking about what they're doing like the thing that they're doing but um I don't know just I think it's a great thing whenever musicians can help other musicians definitely just musically wise career wise what do you want to do next I just want to help people that's my answer always whenever it's anything with music of like my intention um going forward i i i would i want to connect with people i want to have that conversation vulnerability i want to have that conversation of of uh connectedness and finding um helping people find their their family and finding their tribe um whether it be through the music that i create or somebody else's music i, I really don't care as long as people are, are getting some kind of something positive out of what i do um as far as like the tangible <laughs> things yeah. um more touring creating more music definitely a lot more songwriting definitely a lot more songwriting with with a lot more artists um like we were saying i want i want to help younger artists i, I really want to start getting into that there are a few bands that i've started to work with that i'm really excited about um and just just create something positive and and create something that that people can look to detroit and be impressed with our music scene whatever that looks like <laughs> how do you go about kind of like working with other people like songwriting wise oh it's a blast I think I think the key for any kind of anything where you get multiple musicians involved is you have to check your ego at the door. As soon as I step into a songwriting session with other people, I know that it's not fully my song anymore. Um, granted, I, I, I still have the last say if it's my song, but sometimes I go into writing sessions where like we don't know whose song it's going to be. We're just going to write for the sake of writing, and it's it's a really freeing feeling not, not having an agenda and not feeling... Because it's so easy to get trapped, like trap yourself in a box of like, no, we're writing a pop song for Flint Eastwood today. And it's like, no, what if we feel like putting really, really shitty heavy guitars in it, you know? Like really grimy sounding guitars. Or what if we feel like doing a blast beat to it? Like, let's just, let's just fucking do it. And what if that, that shit sounds like it would be a cooler song for somebody else? Right, right. If we go in and, it, and it's something that 100% would fit, you know, Nigel and the Dropout more, we're going to be like, hey, Nigel, you need to get in here and put your production on this song because it's going to be amazing on your next record, you know? Um you got to check your ego at the door with anything, with anything in music, whether you're playing a live show, whether you're, you're designing merch, whether you're doing anything, you got to check your ego at the door because music, music is not your own. I feel like a lot of people have this mindset that their integrity needs to be intact. And yes, that's true. But it's like, as soon as you start performing outside of your basement, it's not yours anymore. People are going to have an opinion. You're creating it for other people. And once you have that mindset where it's not yours anymore, then it's, you can, anything is possible. You can do literally anything you want. Right, yeah. Once it's out there in the world, it's not fully yours anymore. No, no it's, it's not. It's the world's. It's it really is the world's. I mean, people like you're saying how you thought it was bitches on my payroll. You know, you can think that if you want to. It's <laughs> yeah. it's that's your prerogative. You know, it's whatever. 
<laughs> definitely, definitely. Prime man. example of that, you right? Know? <laughs> no, it, definitely. It's no, that's that's a good way of thinking about it. Where it's just like just check your ego at the door because we're at a time now that where I think it's after kind of music, the music industry kind of got spoiled a little mm-hmm. bit. Oh yeah, where they could. A band could come out, sell two million records the first two weeks, mm-hmm. and go on vacation for six months. Yeah, you, know? you can't do that. Now it's flipped where people make music to go tour now. Yes. And they have to make a, a musical product to be able to make these other products. You, you have to hustle 100% of the time for anything to get done. And in order for anything to get done, you have to have a really good team behind you. I know for me personally with this whole EP, people that I, like, like, Drew, for example, from Assemble Sound, like he stepped up and and helped me a, a, a bunch with just like promoting and press and even handing out posters around town. Uh, tour manager Ryan Kerrigan just stepped in and he has helped us out huge time with like day to day of touring. Um, Garrett from Assemble Sound, uh, Nicole Churchill has been helping with licensing. Like every every single place needs to have somebody to make the machine run, and having one person and one ego blocking it and being like no I'm gonna have my say and have it to where I do everything it's just a recipe for disaster you have it, it a band is a machine and you have to have all of the parts working in order for it to click right. just to kind of uh, close out this uh, this podcast um, what would you to someone who hasn't heard your music yet how would you describe what Flint Eastwood is uh, Flint Eastwood is a band for anyone who enjoys music. It is a safe place for people to be themselves. It is a completely judgment-free zone for any person of any race, uh, background, religion, sexuality, just anything. Um, it's, it's music that will hopefully positively affect your life and hopefully make you dance. Great, thank you. Thank you, man, this <laughs> is fun. Right. So that was the interview with Jax Anderson from Flynn Eastwood. Go cop that new EP, Small Victories. I highly recommend it. And also, we're in January now, so that means it's the K-Fresh birthday month. My birthday is on January 23rd. So more details will follow about how I will be celebrating my birthday this year. If you'd like to uh, support the Fresh is the Word podcast, you can go to our website, which is freshisthepodcast.com, and there's a link at the top that says support the podcast. And on that page, there is a PayPal link that you can donate to. Or there is an Amazon link on there that you can use anytime that you want to purchase anything on Amazon. Use that link, and after you make your purchases, Amazon will shoot some commission back to me. That will just go to help the show. Also, I definitely appreciate all the listens, and if you definitely want to share the links to the website, freshesthepodcast.com, or any of the links on SoundCloud, that's definitely appreciated and will definitely help support the podcast. You can also reach Fresh is the Word on the social medias at Instagram and Twitter at Fresh is the Word 1. That's Fresh is the Word number 1. And on Facebook, you can go to Facebook.com slash Fresh is the Podcast and give us a like on that page. We're also on iTunes and Stitcher Radio, so go ahead and search Fresh is the Word on there. and Go ahead and subscribe to us. And it also would be very helpful if you go onto iTunes and give us a 5-star rating and throw some comments on there. Thanks for listening. See you soon. Fresh, 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 fresh is the word.